This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about nutrition labels. Yes, which was a suggestion from you, Lauren. Was there any particular reason this was on your mind? Uh, th- this was this was a listener suggestion from way in the way back. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll be going through our idea spreadsheet and just going like, I don't know, like, like what... What is in here that we just haven't thought about in a minute? And this popped up. And forgive me for I, whoever it was that suggested this. A, I think it was in like 2017. <laughs> and, and, and B, I did not put your name in the notes. If it was you, thank you. Uh, yes. But yeah, this is something that's like never that far from my mind because whenever I'm in a grocery store, especially having like the kind of food sensitivities that I do. Um, It's really important for me to, annoyingly important for me to read the nutrition labels of all of the products that I'm buying because, you know, like people just love putting bell peppers and stuff (laughs) just all over the place. And I don't know why. (laughs) I feel like it's like, ooh, here's a safe dessert bell pepper. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to feel like it's personal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's the only logical explanation I think uh but but yeah yeah so um so so I'm always looking at that kind of thing and um and they are a strange beast they they really are um and 
this episode had so many papers written on it that were really dense. Oh and yeah, fascinating. Oh but yeah, very very dense. Um, and just bought up things that I'd never considered. Of like, oh yeah, how did they arrive at that number? <laughs> like, right. Okay. Sure. Um. Yeah. And there. I mean, I feel like this is going to be. This is like. Like a longer outline, like like one of our longer outlines of late, um, and it's kind of going to be a brief overview <laughs> because, like we we were, we were both saying before we started recording, like there were a lot of rabbit holes that we just chose not to go down because we were like, nope, that could be a different episode. Yeah, yeah, and for sure, like sometimes peek behind the curtains. I think this probably is true for most jobs, but sometimes the timing works out very interestingly. Mm-hmm. So for this current week that we were researching this for reasons, a lot of reasons, I've had to research at night, like late at night. Okay. And so when you're trying to research like nutrition facts and labels and math and percentages at three in the morning, your brain reaches a point where you're like, you're not, you're not getting this. (laughs) (laughs) You're writing something down that you don't understand. Uh uh So you need to step back. Yeah. Yeah. You know that processing thing that you usually do when you intake information? That's not what you're mm-hmm. doing right now, buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one was more math heavy, too. So it was like a confluence. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, well, I'm 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 sorry for suggesting a difficult one in the middle of oh, your birthday no. week. It's Annie's birthday week, y'all. Everybody wish her a happy birthday. I just waved as if I could see all of you, but thank you for your wishes of happy birthday that I'm going to assume that you gave me in response to that. <laughs> no, it was no problem. It was really interesting. It, sh- it was just funny that sometimes the timing works out that way. Where yeah. You're like, Whoo. Oh. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask, did you ever play in elementary school this game where you had you had kind of like hand-sized regular balls, and that was your fat. It represented fat. And then you had these, like, small balls that were yellow, and they represented cholesterol. And you had your, like, little cube that was taped onto the floor. Uh Uh-huh. And you were trying to keep out the fat (laughs) and cholesterol. And then at the end, you got points tallied up for how much you had inside your little... Um, okay. So you didn't play that. Yeah, the short answer is no. Um, the long answer is that's bonkers. What the heck? Uh, oh my heckin' goodness. Wow. The Okay, all right. My dudes, the, the like nutrition science part of my brain is angry about this on a deep number of levels. <laughs> You don't think my physical education class <laughs> with representatives of different sizes of balls and point numbers is a good <sighs> nutrition learning experience for me? I, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All right. Well, I like uh, this. <laughs> Emphatic no. I didn't yeah. like it either. It was also very intense. It was very stressful. Yeah, that that just, just from a purely like game standpoint, that sounds like a very stressful game. It was very stressful. And also like I think that young like depending on the age group, like elementary school Lauren definitely would have gotten mad about it and started like like removing the balls by any means necessary, like mostly mm. pegging fellow classmates with them. So, 
<laughs> I'm not saying I'm the Thanos of elementary school games, but... <laughs> it kind of sounds like what you're saying. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Um, also, yes, you can see our episode we did on expiration dates, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting mm-hmm. one. Um, also, interestingly, our margarine episode... And I think our types of milk episode, we touch on some of the stuff we're going to touch on in this one. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, our sugar episodes um, Mm -hmm. and relatedly, our Miracle Berry episode. Yes. Those are so cool. Right? Oh, (laughs) so weird. So weird. Okay. Um, But um, I suppose this brings us to our question. I love when you ask that with a question. (laughs) But yes, I think it does. (laughs) Nutrition labels. What are they? Well, uh, nutrition labels are disclosures um, that producers of some types of food and drink products are required by their government to post clearly on the packaging of each product that they produce um, so that a potential customer can see at a glance uh, several things about that product, uh, generally including the ingredients, caloric content per serving, um, how many servings the package contains, and uh, the, the, the content of several macro and micro nutrients. Um, in the United States, as of right now, I'm pretty sure, uh, these labels must include calories, total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, sodium, total carbohydrate, dietary fiber, total sugars, added sugars, protein, vitamin D, calcium, iron, and potassium. All of those uh, macro and micronutrients are listed um, in in both the amount um, and the percentage of recommended daily intake that that amount represents. Um, and, and the percentage of recommended daily intake is uh, assuming that you are an average healthy human person consuming approximately 2,000 calories per day, um, which many of us are not. So that's hilarious. Anyway, right. <laughs> um, the, the labels also have to state whether um, eight common allergens may be present, uh, and that's milk, egg, shellfish, fish, tree nuts, wheat, peanuts, and soybeans. Um, and also it has to list the, um, the name and the address of the producer. And there you go. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's like a long list of stuff, but it seems like something that, you know, the, the, the creation and regulation of should be fairly straightforward, right? Like, like in these are modern times, there are science ways to tell what kinds of molecules are in a substance, um, and in what amounts. And there are whole databases of accepted amounts of these substances that different food ingredients possess on average. So, if you, you know, do that science yourself or look at those databases and then combine the results of that with an honest list of what all ingredients you used to make a product, you know, like, boom, nutrition label, right? Yeah. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> there are just all kinds of complications. It's it's complications all the way down. Um, at the very top level, you know, it's 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 like... We say pretty much every episode, you know, like like human bodies are complicated. Nutrition is complicated. Um, and humanity's knowledge of how the human body works is changing constantly. So so even the decision of what's pertinent to put on these labels is changing constantly. 
And then there are any number of reasons why a producer might not want to disclose every little thing about their product. Um, some, Some are earnest. This recipe is proprietary. And I don't want to tell the world exactly what goes into my spice blend for it because then someone might reproduce it and this is my business, you know. Um, some some reasons are a little trickier, you know, like maybe a producer is afraid that um, health-conscious consumers won't buy their product if they see how much fat or sugar is in it. And rather than reformulate, they would prefer to fudge the numbers a little. Um so the, the the creation of these labels, from the regulation around them to the compliance with those regulations, is uh, fraught at worst. And honestly, at best, it's just it's just messy. Um, mm. Every government that requires these labels has a lot to take into consideration and a lot of voices in their ears. Um, when the system works well, you know, you as a consumer can walk into a store and pick up a product and feel confident that you know what's in it and how it will fit into your diet. Um, but how we go about trying to make that happen <laughs> is, <laughs> is a continual and strange process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As of 2018, um, nutrition labels were mandatory in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, Paraguay, Uruguay, the European Union, Russia, Israel, the uh, Gulf Cooperation Council, Um, Nigeria, India, Hong Kong, China, Japan, South Korea, Malaysia, Taiwan, Thailand, the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Australia, and New Zealand. And I know that that's like a long list of countries, and I'm I I felt weird about including it, but then I felt weird about not including it. I don't know. (laughs) Like so much of so much of the information that we've got for y'all today is uh, so U.S. centric that I was just like, no, just go ahead and do this at at the very least. uh, yeah, uh, and and then so those are those are uh, places where nutrition labeling is mandatory. Um, it is furthermore voluntary in a bunch of other countries, and those are Venezuela, Turkey, Switzerland, Morocco, Lebanon, Jordan, Singapore, Brunei, Myanmar, Vietnam, Kenya, Mauritius, and South Africa. And yeah, there are both national and international organizations um, that that study what different places are doing and how it's working and how. It might be improved. Yes, yes, and I have a Seinfeld reference, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> this this episode is actually very strange because looking back, it feels so odd. But there's a whole episode about like fat free, the fat free yogurt sure. craze, which I think we talked about in our our yogurt episode. Okay. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah. We talk, I think we talked about this episode then, too. There's a whole episode about that. And um, everybody in the show is, in heavy quotes, gaining weight. Um, <laughs> because they're eating this yogurt. And they're like, it's not fat-free. It can't be. So they steal a sample of the yogurt to go get it tested. Uh-huh. And then uh, some something else spills into it. So the test gets ruined anyway. Oh. But anyway, the weird part is Rudy Giuliani is in it. Oh. Um, <laughs> huh. Yeah. It's wow. interesting. Times change in a lot of ways. Yeah. And don't change in others. <laughs> but it was a good, like, and it was like how he won slash lost the election was the fighting the frozen yogurt and huh. getting it, like, accurately labeled uh, so people knew what they were getting, which is interesting. Fascinating, Yeah. But speaking of, what about the nutrition? 
<laughs> the nutrition of a nutrition label? Sure. Um, don't don't eat nutrition labels. They're not food. All right. All right. <laughs> have you ever had that moment where you're like, because we were just talking about cheese, and I have a lot of cheese for other various reasons, most of them birthday related. <laughs> uh-huh. But I the other day I was eating like a piece of the rind, and I'm like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to eat this. This might be paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always, I frequently have that question about cheeses. I'm like, is this wax? Is this cheese? Mm-hmm. Is this what is? Oh, well, when in doubt, I just eat it. When in doubt, just eat it. <laughs> oh, dear. That's our lesser known motto. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we do have some numbers for you. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. In 1980, when the US FDA, along with the Department of Health and Human Services, released the first dietary guidelines for Americans with the intent of updating them every five years, um, when they first released them, there were seven guidelines. In 2005, there were 41. So they are constantly reevaluating and updating and adding stuff. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Also, um, it does cost money for producers to create nutrition labeling for their products. Um, and there are all kinds of lab and database and consultation services out there. But generally, it seems like it costs uh, in current 2021 United States dollars a little over a grand to get the information you need about a product for your label. And that's to say nothing of the cost of uh, actually getting those labels printed and implemented. Um, And of course, um, every time that there's a change in label regulation, as we're talking about happening constantly, you do have to get new label data done and uh, get that label drawn up and change your packaging. Um, When the FDA was looking into changing its labeling guidelines in a big way in the 1990s, um, it recognized that the printing costs alone would cost the food industry some $756 million. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it was deemed important because, like, nutrition is kind of a big part of health, um, Mm -hmm. and it's a big concern. Um, Non-communicable diseases, you know, like cancer, heart disease— diabetes, stuff like that, um, account for 71% of human deaths globally. Um, uh, That's according to the um, World Health Organization. And poor diet is a major risk factor of those. And according to Tufts Nutrition and Health Letter, people who consult nutrition labels consume fewer calories and less total fat, saturated fat, cholesterol, and added sugars than non-label users. But only 61.6% of those surveyed said that they regularly check the nutrition facts panel. Hmm. Usage of other label resources was even lower. 51.6% check the ingredients list, 47.2% look at the serving size, and 43.8% consider health claims when pondering a food. Purchase. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Um, and other studies have found upwards of 50% of people don't believe health labeling on products. Ah. Yeah. Hmm. But, you know, there we're going to talk about some nefarious uh-huh. uh, actors in the field and, and practices in the past. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's I, I think I think moving moving forward with with healthy skepticism is 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 always good. But um. But gosh, yeah, I I feel like I I believe in them too much. I'm like, this is science fact. Clearly no one would ever lie about anything on a food package. How, (laughs) why would they? How dare they? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, in, that, in that same research that the FDA was doing in the 1990s, um, they, they, they were really trying to prove out the, uh, the, the, like, the like, cost-benefit analysis of this whole thing. Um, and uh, they determined that providing consumers with better nutrition information um, via these labels would prevent 35,179 cancer cases 4,024 cases of cardiovascular disease, and 12,902 premature deaths over 20 years. And they put a cash number on this, um, $4.2 billion in social benefits, uh, worker productivity, healthcare savings, all of that over the next 20 years. Um, They estimated, in comparison, um, that the cost of implementing these labeling changes that they were proposing would be around $2.6 billion. So they were like, they were like, forget about saving lives because like, if all you're looking at is the money, then I guess screw people. Um, (laughs) But, but just in terms of money, you know, you're, Mm. you're saving like, like at least a billion and a half bucks by Mm -hmm. implementing these changes and probably a lot of people too, if you want to care about that sort of thing. If you care about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So big deal. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of research into the money aspect and the life-saving aspect and just the health, overall health aspect of that. I have found that really interesting because I feel like through this show, I've seen these peaks and lows of people caring about health yeah. and not caring so much. And so that does really impact what get ends up on the label. Yeah. Um, yeah. And right. And I mean, I don't know, like it's, there, there, there's so much, I, I feel like there's a really huge gap in assumption between like the fact that you put a label out there and right, like, like you were saying, like, or this, this Tufts research was saying um, that, that someone's going to take that to heart and mm-hmm. use it in an appropriate way. Um, but, uh, but they've researched it more than I have. So. They certainly have. Um and I was kind of reminded a couple of years ago, I used to be somebody who would bake a lot of stuff and bring them into the office mm-hmm. back in the day. And I would make a lot of healthy stuff. And I remember once I made these, they were really good, delicious muffins. And they were, you know, really healthy and low calorie. And one of our coworkers was like, I don't trust anything like this because I don't trust what's in it. And I was like, well, I made it. Um, <laughs> Even I tell less you what's so. In it. <laughs> And she was like, no, but it just doesn't make sense. Like, what is in it? And I was like, this thing and this thing and this thing. And here's the recipe. Do you? <laughs> so that's just an interesting aspect, huh. too, of, of human nature to me. Of like, this always. We have our experiences and assumptions that yeah. we operate off of. Um, and that's what this nutrition label is having to grapple with is all of that. Yeah. <laughs> From the company side and the government side and the human nature side. Like. <laughs> it is an it is an interesting puzzle, and it has it, it is one that we have been coping with for uh, for for a hot minute. Yes, and speaking of a hot minute, we do have <laughs> a hot bit of history for you. We do, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So as we said, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is based in the United States. Um, Then we're going to touch on other countries, and that information is absolutely out there. So that being said, international listeners, as always... Would love to hear from you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if um, if if you uh, know off the top of your head of a particularly interesting story, we would be happy to do a whole episode. But yeah, yes. like like that's this would have been a much you, there's you guys, there's a lot of governments out there, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And a lot, a lot, a lot of them looking into this whole nutrition puzzle piece and how yeah. to <laughs> communicate that effectively to uh-huh. the public. So, yeah, it's a lot. Um, all right. So nutrition labels in the U.S. really got started around the 1960s. Certain foods that the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA labeled as for, uh, quote, special dietary uses, meaning foods that could be used to meet needs caused by physical, pathological, or similar conditions. Um, those foods have labels detailing their sodium and or calories. 
on them um, from 1941 to about 1961. There were uh, several reasons at play when it came to the lack of labeling. One reason was that most people were cooking at home with pretty simple ingredients. The other related reason was this was before food processing, so people weren't really questioning what was in their food. That coworker at our office would have been like, what is in here? <laughs> yeah. I would have made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for 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 most of human history, um, the food production happened in in homes or in shops. Um, and so uh and, and and locally. And so, you know, you weren't before the Industrial Revolution, it wasn't really a question. Right, right. Um that being said. There were labels even earlier than this, going back to some foodborne outbreaks in the 1850s in the U.S., including the high-profile death of U.S. President Zachary Taylor, who was believed to have died after eating some bad fruit and drinking some bad milk. President Lincoln created the USDA in 1862 in response, and the USDA crafted some strict guidelines on food processing and handling. And I think that's another theme. Like, we're not going to go through that as much, but I kept thinking of, uh, like, the jungle up in Sinclair's The Jungle. Yeah, like, there are these yeah. big moments in history where people are like, wait, what is in this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we've and we we've talked about that in a bunch of different episodes. Um, like ketchup was a big one. Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, others, uh, other researchers have pointed out that due to mislabeling around bread weight, food labeling technically goes back even further, like the Middle Ages. But that was much more, you know— this is how much this piece of bread weighs. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, or, or you know, like like various other things, like um, like, like we talk about in our cheddar episode. Um, uh, you know, like how much how much milk fat would have been going into different products like that. So, Ooh. yeah, yeah, cheese is a good one to bring up in this conversation. Hoofta, yes. Lots of scandals with the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> In 1906, the first Food and Drugs Act passed, legalizing interstate sales of misbranded and or adulterated foods, drinks, and drugs. And in 1924, the U.S. Supreme Court took it a step further, decreeing any misleading or deceptive info provided by a company about a food product, even if true, was illegal. So even if it was just kind of like, I guess, yeah, misleading. Yeah. yeah. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Then, of course, there was the Oleomargarine <laughs> Act, enacted in 1950 to distinguish colored margarine from butter. Right. Yes. And then in 1958, the Food Additives Amendment required manufacturers to name all the additives in their product. Um, and then that same year, the FDA released their guidelines around foods generally recognized as safe or grass, G-R-A-S, which we've also talked about quite mm -hmm. a bit, I think. Yeah. Uh, stepping back a bit, and also future episode, because I'm really fascinated with this now, the first vitamin was isolated in 1926. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the the entire discussion around macro and micronutrients, um, and and I and I, I I kind of covered that earlier, but but just in case anyone is confused by those terms, um, uh, no shame in it. Uh, uh, macronutrients are um, things like protein and fat and carbohydrate that are the 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 big components of our diets, and then the micronutrients are the vitamins and minerals and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, for, yeah, for most of human history, we didn't know how all that worked. We were just like, well, we feel full when we eat this meat, and we, you know, die less when we eat vegetables. 
Um, <laughs> Scurvy. <laughs> eat citrus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 right. We we didn't start knowing what those molecules are and what they're doing, or or compounds are and what they're doing um, until basically the 1900s. Yeah, very recent. Which is wild to think about. Anyway, I know. Um, okay, so all of this of you know kind of minimal labeling in the U.S., changed course in the 50s and 60s when processed food entered the mainstream American diet. People understandably were a little concerned and perhaps just curious what was in their food and kept requesting for this information. And because of all this, the 1969 White House Conference on Food, Nutrition, and Health received a recommendation suggesting that they come up with a way to quantify and communicate the nutritional qualities of food products. And here's a quote from that conference. Every manufacturer should be encouraged to provide truthful nutritional information about his products to enable consumers to follow recommended dietary regimens. The FDA took this suggestion to heart and got to work on it right away. They consulted prominent figures in the food industry, producers and nutritionists. They tested out a few labels. In 1972, the FDA released a proposed format for nutrition labels on packaged foods. These labels were optional outside of foods that made some level of nutritional claim in any way, whether that was in the labeling or in the advertising. Mm -hmm. They implemented this as an extension of the 1938 Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act that determined that a food was not branded correctly if it, quote, fails to reveal facts material in the light of such representation. Okay. Okay. So, yes, these regulations went into effect in 1973. They required that the label included information on the calorie, protein, and carbohydrates, um, all the contents of all those, along with the recommended daily percentages of vitamins A and C, calcium, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, iron, and proteins. The manufacturer could also include info on the saturated fats, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and sodium, if they so desired. These numbers were to be calculated based on an average serving size, um, all of these numbers were based on the 1968 Recommended Dietary Allowance, the RDA calculated by the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, the numbers were, for the most part, the highest value for any given RDA nutrient for men and women who weren't pregnant or lactating. And yes, I did try to. This is where my brain was like, stop it. <laughs> you're not understanding this. I think you're communicating what they did. <laughs> But yes, I was interested. Oh, sure. I was like, ooh, how, I've never thought about that. How did they arrive at these numbers? Oh, sure. Yeah. Whole process. Yes. Yes. Um, the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service provided similar numbers for meat and poultry was sort of separately regulated. Mm -hmm. um, despite this, a lot of companies are out there making false claims. And a case reached the Supreme Court in 1973. The court ruled that nutrition labels had to be included on all foods that were making any type of health claim. In 1978, the Federal Trade Commission, along with the FDA and USDA, conducted hearings on problems and possible improvements of these nutrition labels, and they called for them to be made mandatory. Yeah, across the 1970s, there was a lot of concern and activism from various communities about all of this. Um, consumer advocate groups like the Center for Science in the Public Interest started really pushing for, like, more better labeling information, um, including for a type of product that we haven't mentioned yet, alcohol. 
Uh, and more on that in a minute. Yes. Moving into the 1980s, interest in health and nutrition was rising, partly in thanks to the National Research Council's paper, Diet and Health, Implications for Reducing Chronic Disease Risk, and also the Surgeon General's Report on Nutrition and Health. These papers really recommended things like cutting back on fat and were instrumental in forming these ideas around health in America. Yeah, um, and and right, like uh, like we said earlier, um, we do talk about this kind of era a lot in our sugar and miracle berry episodes. Um, so see those for a little more on that. There, in in short, there there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of science humans doing a lot of really good work, and also <laughs> a lot of influence from the sugar industry and other lobbies. Yes, mucking everything up tremendously. So <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Oh, and also, as we mentioned in our cereal episode. In 1984, Kellogg's, in conjunction with the National Cancer Institute, started a campaign of using the back label to tout the link between fiber consumption and to possible lower rates of certain types of cancer. And when the FDA didn't come after them, other companies started doing similar things. So this really opened the door for a lot of the, you know, like little box claims you might see as on, I, I often do think of cereals or breakfast products in particular. Yeah, yeah. They're like, this has fiber. You won't get cancer. Go. Um, and, uh, right. It's, yes. <laughs> it's a very specific and narrow claim that, again, might technically not be untrue, but might be a little bit misleading. Yes, for sure. Um... Okay, but even at this time, there still wasn't any, like, really standardized nutrition label. In 1989, Dr. Lewis W. Sullivan, who was the secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at the time, called on the FDA to revise the food label um, and, on a separate occasion, said, As consumers shop for healthier food, they encounter confusion and frustration. The grocery store has become a tower of Babel, and consumers need to be linguists, scientists, and mind readers to understand the many labels that they see. Wow. Which I really appreciated. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, A, oh, snap. And B, yes. uh, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Mm-hmm. A period of public comment was opened across the country, and as scientific advancements, new dietary recommendations, individual states... Uh, where they were getting in on this food safety game and all this labeling happening um, within the manufacturing realm, all of this influenced this push for a new, clearer, standardized nutrition label. The USDA signed the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act, which was an amendment of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, into law in 1990. And this decreed that all companies had to keep claims about their products consistent and include detailed and standardized nutrition information on anything they were intending to sell. So that's really recent. I was surprised. Yeah. I don't think I realized that this happened during my lifetime. Me either. Me either. And it's still changing. It's still oh, yeah. changing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so with this act, RDAs were replaced with reference daily intakes, or RDIs, and guidelines around serving sizes were given. That's one area where I kind of chuckled and has, it's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Officials looked to those two reports that I mentioned earlier to figure out what vitamins and minerals to include on these labels. Um, some, like total sugars, were voluntary unless the product made some kind of claim about sugar content. 
The legislation also called for standardized definitions to be developed and used so that we were all on the same page when it came to whatever terminology was being implemented. U.S. Nutrition Facts labels debuted in 1994. It covered a majority of food products other than alcohol and meat and poultry, which were meat and poultry were under the jurisdiction of different departments. Though the FDA worked with FSIS to get the meat and poultry industry on board. So they, even though they were under different jurisdictions, they did kind of follow the same yeah, path. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there were a few other exceptions, like baby formula, which already had its own set of rules. And yeah, serving sizes or reference amounts customarily consumed, or RACC, hmm. were updated in 2016. And okay, so um, so uh, meat and poultry, a few other exceptions, and then alcohol. Alcohol also being under a different jurisdiction. Um, so okay, brief aside here. Um, the the reason that alcohol does not have to carry nutrition labels in the United States, despite contributing to an average of 400 calories a day to American diets by some estimates. Um, the reason is prohibition and tax law. Mm. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay, um, um, after the repeal of prohibition, um, the government was kind of going like, all right, how can we at least make some money off of this thing that we've been railing against that we've finally allowed people to sell and buy again. Um, so in 1935, um, they passed the Alcohol Administration Act, which created this new governing body that would eventually become the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, um, or the TTB for short. And this, uh, this, this placed control of how alcohol is marketed and sold um, outside of the FDA's hands uh, by the time the FDA became a thing. Um, for the most part, there are some exceptions because, of course, there are, um, like, wines that contain less than 7% alcohol um, and beers that don't contain malted barley. Those are under FDA regulations. Anyway, what? <laughs> I, again, this could be a whole separate episode, and I'm fascinated by it, so hopefully it will be in the future. Um, but yeah, so, um, so a few alcohol labeling regulations were happening vaguely in parallel to everything that was going on with the FDA um, and nutrition labels over the years. Um, but I think it's safe to say that the alcohol industry was largely just pleased as punch to not have to mess with any of that. <laughs> and a number of related lobbies and brands did put pressure on the government to avoid pushes for nutrition labeling on alcohol. It's funny how it kind of backfired <laughs> for the government. Like, all these groups that were like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a complicated and fascinating. I've got, like, one more note about it. But anyway, um, uh, uh, continuing with, with things that do have these nutrition labels. <laughs> Yes. In 1995, the American Heart Association launched a certification program that in part included the heart check label on food products. Mm -hmm. And I imagine a lot of a lot of you are familiar with that. To get the certification, the product in question has to be low in cholesterol and saturated fat. And the manufacturer has to make a payment to the AHA. So ah, it's a, yeah, okay. if you can afford so it. Co-branded kind of thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. The Farm Bill of 2002 required that all fresh meat, poultry, pork, and lamb come with a country of origin label. And that went to effect in 2009, but it was rife with loopholes. And I feel like we've been talking about that a lot, too, when we talk about, like, uh, mislabeled seafood. or, or There's just a lot of instances of 
this still being a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe I believe that this was partially influenced by um, the uh, spongiform encephalitis, uh, mad cow um, uh, issues of that era, um, which we talked about in our sweetbreads episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow, this one's... I mean, I guess <laughs> nutrition does touch on all kinds of things, <laughs> <It> so... <does. laughs> Trans fats were required to be a part of labeling beginning in 2003 here in the United States. Also in 2003, the FDA shifted their rules so that companies no longer had to make health claims based on, quote, significant scientific consensus, but now could make them based on, quote, some scientific evidence or very limited and preliminary scientific research. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, Soon after, in 2004, companies started denoting their healthier products with their own labeling. Again, I believe we're all very familiar with this. Over the next decade, similar things happened with grocery stores and companies finding new ways to draw attention to healthier options. In 2009, the FDA sent a letter to Smart Choices, which is that green check on products. Oh, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and the FDA was like, stop, please. You're confusing people. Stop it. Um, and it worked, I guess, because only a week later, the program suspended itself. Oh, well, that's, that's delightful. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> no, 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 that, that was, that was an era. Yeah, no, I, I guess I had never thought about it, but, um, but the early 2000s really were a time when a lot of, of labeling was coming out that was very like, buy this, it's healthy. Yeah. And it wasn't for a few years until like that started getting shut down. Yeah, and I was thinking about, you know, when I was a kid, because uh, a lot of this stuff that I'm thinking of is marketed towards children. Sure. And it would have, like, the box tops. And so you would yeah. get, like, a monetary, you know, kickback <laughs> 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 of eating this thing, and it's also being touted as healthy. So, I can't, yeah, it's just kind of predatory in a way, I guess. Yeah. Of, oh, absolutely. You know, Telling parents or guardians this is good for your kids, and then also you get money for your school or whatever if you sure, this. yeah, yeah. And then right, and then like all kinds of uh, parallel issues, like like use of words like a uh, like natural that don't mm-hmm. that it's not that they mean nothing; it's just that they don't mean what you think they mean. Like <laughs> right. Um, right. and again, whole other whole other episode. Um, uh, in. 2013, um, the aforementioned Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau made nutrition labels for alcohol optional. <laughs> and this is when we started seeing, like, like you know, all of those, like, light beers marketing their low-calorie counts, like, oh, yeah, like, Mecca yeah. Ultra, like, only, like, 60 calories a bottle or 60 carbs mm-hmm. or what? That 60 carbs isn't a thing. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> like, like, however much whatever that they feel yeah. like saying to you as though it means something. Um, uh, I mean, and it does. I'm sorry. I'm being snarky. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> so so these these rules state that you do not have to include a nutrition label on your product, on your alcoholic product. But if you do, you have to include a count of the total calories, carbs, proteins, and fats. However, you still do not have to list ingredients um, other than a few specific substances um, that are deemed to be potentially hazardous, like um, sulfites and certain food dyes. Um, so, so that is the current state of affairs for alcohol nutrition labeling. <laughs> That's interesting because I do feel like there's been, I have seen a lot more of that marketing lately of like, 
There's even uh, athletic beers right? now. Or like, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting that they're kind of riding this line in between of only having to provide certain information. information but, yeah. And that's know. that's kind of like like part of what the pushback against including nutrition labels on these products at all was for 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 decades because some detractors were going like, well, they're just going to market it as a health food if you let them. So <laughs> Don't yeah. don't let them include any information on it. Um, but mm, but yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem. Um, food wise, though, um, uh, similar nutrition labels to what we've had here in the U.S. since '94 uh, only became mandatory across the um, the European Union as a whole in 2016. Um, and and those are a little bit different. Um, I think my, my my data is from. 2015, so it could very well have changed since then. Um, but uh, I think that they list all of their nutritional information per 100 grams or milliliters of product, not by whatever arbitrary serving size, um, which has its pros and cons. Um, and there are a few other differences, uh, like uh, we list sodium here, they list salt, which are related but different. Um, uh, there's a rule over there about um, if you list vegetable oil, you have to list specifically what type. I'm not sure if we've implemented that here or not. Um, uh, they use codes for common food additives um, versus the common names, which are mandatory here. Um, so yeah, um, uh, anyone anyone who's who's familiar, please write in. I didn't happen to have a labeled food product from <laughs> that part of the world in my kitchen to double check for. Um, <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, uh, in 2018, all y'all might remember some of the headlines about this coming out, the FDA changed their labels again, um, adding a line for added sugars in grams yeah. um, and uh, the percentage of daily recommended intake that that accounts for. Um, the new labels also emphasize serving size by putting it in bold face, bold typeface, and giving it a larger font size. Um, the new labels make the calories per serving the by far most prominent line on the label. And they also remove um, this, this line that the labels previously had for calories from fat. Um, this used to be on the same line as the total calories. And so it was really drawing attention to calories from fat and the influence of fat in uh, in a product. Um, now fat is just listed along with the other macronutrients, which I think is great. I think is a much more honest and straightforward way of going about things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that goes back to kind of the shifting conversation around health and what is yeah. good and what is bad for us in this country. Because I remember when it like all of a sudden we were like, wait, sugar? I shouldn't be having 50 <laughs> grams of sugar in this one spoonful? <laughs> What? <laughs> How much sugar is too much sugar? It was just a huge conversation. We oh, were sure, having. sure. Well, I, I mean, it kind of still is. So, I, mm -hmm. you know, I, right, because like all of this is is ongoing. Um, there are all kinds of, of issues and potential solutions being debated and implemented to help consumers make more informed choices. Um, uh, one of the big ones right now is front of package labeling. Um, and this is something that you can see in um, in packaged foods if you find like, uh, like a candy bar from the UK or something. Um, it's going to have right on the front of the label like uh like like calorie count fat count stuff like that um and uh that's that is especially for categories of food like that like snacks and candies 
Another thing being discussed in a lot of places is um, color coding, like along the lines of like 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 red, yellow, green, like traffic light style color coding oh, uh-huh. um, to give a consumer, even one who who isn't uh, literate, um, an at a glance rating of like the healthiness of a food or a menu item. Um, I mean, also menus in general, like like where and when. Uh, yeah. a, a food menu has to include nutrition information or voluntarily includes it. Fascinating stuff. It is. It is. And I can, oh, I can only imagine. It's, it, I, I legitimately, I know we keep saying this, but I really am intrigued by human nature because I feel like, you know, food producers, manufacturers fight so hard for like the green, red, like whatever, you wouldn't want your product to be in the red. But then I feel like there are plenty of people who are like, give me that junk food. I yeah, don't <laughs> I don't care. It's delicious. Are you kidding? I only eat red food. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? like it's a fried potato. I'm going to eat it right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and well, and, and and also like, oh, I don't know. Like I'm a, I'm of a lot of minds about this because like a thing that, that we try really hard to do with this show is to emphasize that like treats are okay. And that, like, and that, like, human diet is super, again, super complex. And that, you know, there's no one way that that bodies deal with food. And there's no one way that you should feel pressured to eat or to look for hex hecking heck, um, <laughs> you know. And and so, um, I don't know. It's 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 just very. There is just so much more research needs to be done. Yes. <laughs> More research is needed. <laughs> I do believe in a I informed. That's good. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah. so much of it we have been misled yeah. about how how our diet should look or what is good and what is bad. Um, so it, it is complicated because I'm like, yes, I want the label, but do I really understand what this label means? <laughs> yeah, and 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 furthermore, like stop. Like, like, I don't know, like, like, it can be a little bit condescending sometimes. Like, I feel like most of us know that potato chips aren't the most nutritionally right. <laughs> sound choice. Like, that's understood. Uh-huh. But, I mean, like. It's true. Like, yeah. Like, like, sometimes you just want to eat a heck of potato chip. Leave me alone. That's, yeah. That's a good point, too. We have enough of that nonsense guilt food. Right. Already. Hmm. Oh, this is, this is the type of stuff my brain likes to, like. <laughs> dig into. <laughs> I get mad, but I'm also like, oh yeah, so many different angles. Yeah. To nutrition labels. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yes. Yes. Well, clearly we'll probably be coming back to discuss more of these issues we touched on at a later date. Yes. Yes. That is about what we have to say about it today. Um, We do have some listener mail for you. We do. But first we have one more quick break forward from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. back thank you sponsor yes thank you and we're back with (laughs) i wasn't following following you on that one at all (laughs) that's it's because i got distracted halfway because i wanted to do like i was just gonna do like a straight read and then i was like it will never work but it could be hilarious if i just was like listener mail um (laughs) and then i was like what if i did like a robot thing and then I realized that I don't know how to communicate robot voice very well. Oh, so yeah, I was yeah. doing the robot. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Well. That's what happened. It went in a number <laughs> of different places. I think we ended on some beeps and boops. And so that was not not robotic. Um. <laughs> My favorite SpongeBob episode. <laughs> boop, 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 beep. Uh, you SpongeBob <laughs> listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Allison wrote insert longtime listener first time caller here my (laughs) name is Allison and I've been a listener since the foodstuff days thank you for the educational entertainment I enjoy listening while I work securely cleaning houses doing my own chores and on the occasional run there have been many times I've considered writing in but never expected the aquafaba episode to be the one full disclosure I didn't have a clue about what aquafaba was Now I know, and it was really interesting, but what prompted me to send this email was when you said that chickpeas are also known as garbanzo beans. I never knew this, so my mind Mm. was blown. 
But more importantly, hearing the word garbanzo made me realize I could write in and share that we have pet ducks that are all food names. Oh. Yes. When you've asked for pets with food names in the past, I've always thought of your typical dogs, cats, hamsters, etc. It all started when we got our first paddling of ducks last year. Two of them we called popcorn and butter. Fast forward to late winter this year, and we had a terrible fox attack. Oh, no. Everyone was gone except Butter, who was badly injured. We tried nursing her to health and adopted another duck so she wouldn't be alone. We named the new duck Black Bean because she had beautiful black and iridescent feathers. Unfortunately, Butter didn't make it but we had Black Bean to comfort us. We got six new ducklings this spring and decided to name them all after bees. (laughs) I will attach a photo identifying them all. The ladies are Jelly Bean, Cocoa Bean, Coffee Bean, Vanilla Bean, and Baby Black Bean. And our Drake, slash male, is, wait for it, Garbanzo Bean. Uh, I think I literally gasped when you said Garbanzo on the episode and I knew I had to share with you all. We love our little duck family. Oh, my oh, goodness. That's so <laughs> adorable. The picture's so cute. The names are so good. Oh, oh, I love it. I love a duckling. Yes. I'm getting out. My heart feels so warm and full just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry about your duckling disaster, but I'm so yes. I'm so glad that you have some 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 new buddies. Yes. Um, and Allison also from Vermont and Built up on another a previous listener mail we read about coming to Vermont with even more suggestions. So ah. now we've got food and ducks to, <laughs> to lure us to Vermont. <laughs> so uh, two excellent, excellent lures. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, Megan wrote, "I just listened to the zucchini episode and it answered a question I've had for years." I spent a couple years reading all of the Agatha Christie mysteries, and in one, Poirot retires to the country to grow vegetable marrows. Or marrows. I'm not sure. Um, I never knew what they were, but thanks to you, now I know he was growing zucchini. If I recall correctly, he was not very successful, probably because the plants weren't symmetric enough for him. <laughs> I also really appreciate Lauren's Zoodles complaint. The way food is named and discussed shapes so much of our expectations and experience with it. In my case, I want Cincinnati-style chili to get rebranded as a meat sauce. It has so much more in common with a bolognese than a chili, and I imagine a meat sauce with cinnamon would create less disgust than chili with cinnamon, so people who are being introduced to it would have less objections to it being weird. Ooh. That's interesting. Right? Yeah, because I totally forgot. That brought back my memories of our when we learned that in the Midwest, in some places, people eat cinnamon rolls with chili. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, huh. well, I, I, I always put cinnamon in my chili. Um, uh, cinnamon and cocoa powder are two of my like little like 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 secret ingredient kind of kind of thing <laughs> when you're sharing it with us I, they're not really secret there i don't really have i'm bad at secrets um <laughs> i just no one tell anyone <laughs> this is our safer secret you're safe here it's a safe space <laughs> um, uh so so it's a really but 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 i can see where people would think that it sounds strange because yeah. But but yeah, but then there's the whole cinnamon rolls thing, so I don't know. I'm still determined to try that. I Right. I think I I mean it, and it goes back to so much of what we've been talking about in this episode or when we're talking about like zoodles and yeah, it does really impact. It's really 
for your personal experiences and thoughts around what something is. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I believe you, Megan, that maybe yeah, if you rebranded it as a meat sauce for some people... Yeah. That would be much easier sell. They yeah. would be so like Yeah, just get sad. it out of your head that it's chili. It's something mm-hmm. different. Um right. and yeah. But for other people, they're like, why is there no cinnamon in my chili? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> people are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of our relationships with food are very complicated. It's true. Well, I am glad we could help you solve this zucchini Agatha Christie mystery. Yes. <laughs> yes. Always. Always, yes. If you have any mysteries to send to us, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> um, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. Mm-hmm. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.